Welcome to another episode of Big Conversations with Ordinary People. My name is Maya, and today we have a special guest, um, Anayel. So Anayel is a dear friend of mine. She's French, she's from France. She came to the U.S. as an international student and has been here for about eight years. She has a degree in anthropology. And uh, Anayel has lived in France, in the U.S., of course, as well as in China. Um, after going through different ups and downs with the immigration process, She's now finally a green card holder. And um, she helps, she's passionate about helping students as well as um, retirees navigate um, moving abroad and living abroad. Um, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Anayel. Thank you, Maya. Very happy to be here. <laughs> yes, Anayel, you know, you are one of the few people that I know that has really fought and really struggled with the immigration, the immigration process, and you are not mm -hmm. scared away. You actually have a very interesting story of navigating this process. So we, we will get to that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about, you said, did you grow up in France? Yes. So I grew up in France until I was 16, 17 when I finished high school. And uh, after that, I was so tired of, <laughs> you know, just school. I was like, mm -hmm. I want to see the world. I want to travel. And so um, I came to America for one year to study English. And then I was... I didn't want to go back to France. So I went to China to learn Chinese. And mm. then my parents were like, you know, you would, if you had a degree, it would be great. And so I started studying business and I didn't like it too much. I started in France and then I came back over here because I really, really liked California. Um, and the experience I had, I was in Santa Barbara the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, great. And I came here and I did my bachelor's. I switched to anthropology because I mm -hmm. thought it was really interesting. The cultural side, you know, just different culture, different people all over the world. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, after that, I got my degree. And I think we'll get more into my immigration like uh, journey. But I got my degree and struggled and got a work visa. And now finally, mm -hmm. I'm with the green card. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, before we get into that, why don't you tell us about a little bit about France and going to school there? Um, you know, in the international education scene, there's all this news about there's a lot of international students who've enrolled in school in France. Um, what is it about France that's attracting students? I think um, from my experience in the French system, what I liked was it's very rigorous. They, you have a lot of different classes and the level is, it's very high, you know, and so you have to work hard. And I remember kind of resenting that when I was growing up because mm -hmm. it's a lot of homework and it's, it's a lot of time commitment. You know, um, we go to school from like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day of the week in high school on Saturday morning. Um, but mm. once I graduated and I came to America and I took all the classes, I was like, oh, I could really see the benefits of mm -hmm. French education coming through. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that's why people like it. And also France is, it's a different culture. You know, people are very, um, you know, after school, you can just hang out with people at the, at the coffee cafe, the local mm. cafe, and just hang out with your friends and walk around the city. And it's very uh, pedestrian. So it's very, it's very nice, you know, so oh. I think. So for yeah. like a student, the social life in terms of just being outside and interacting with mm -hmm. people and going places is, is, is a lot easier, would you say, than the U.S.? Oh, yes, 100%. Especially because in the U.S., people are very turned around their family and they're like, they're very small social groups and then mm. because we take cars everywhere there there aren't mm. a lot of places we can meet 
other people just like that and in france is the opposite it's just like you know the school is if it's in the city center and then mm -hmm. you just go out of school like my high school was really great i just came out of of the school and then there was like restaurants and coffee shops and all the stores and then people just walking around and and just sitting on benches or sitting mm. in the park and we just sat with you know with my friends and we just hung out until it was mm -hmm. late and our parents were like where are you <laughs> so we came <laughs> home uh, but it was very yeah, very sociable huh yes like very sharing your time with others that it's very appealing yeah cool 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 okay so then you came to the U.S. so you came to the U.S. for undergrad uh, the first time I came I only came to learn English which is I met a lot of different people in those schools and I think it's a really great opportunity for people just to come and learn English in a school that has no other topics um, and then after that when I finally I was like oh I think I should study um, that rigor like what I was telling you about the system being very like a lot of hours mm. it's the same thing in France for university it's just it's a lot of hours a lot of work in a different way than America mm. and so I was more attracted by the American system because it's it's like America is like merit-based you know mm -hmm. and it's like it's also at your own pace so um, for example you go to class for like two hours and there is like eight hours of work homework expected with those two hours mm. but I was always very quick and so in France I got bored in the classes because it's like oh I'm, I just I got this I want to move on you know right. so in America it's like you can take three hours to complete your eight hours of work and that's like and then you can enjoy the five hours to do something else but in France you would be waiting for other people you know because I you're see. like moving as a class you know yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah that's, that's very similar to to Uganda I remember okay. you know high school never really moved because we were always we always go as, move as a team right as a group interesting yes. interesting yeah. okay so that was the first time you came to to America this was high school right to to learn English um, um, yeah and then and then you came back for college right mm -hmm. yes so tell me tell me about coming here and then deciding not to go back and how all of this went down how it all started yeah so. Um, Actually, I had I had met someone here and I was like, oh, and I loved America. And it was just like the land of dreams, you know, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I just want to, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's this thing, I think maybe because when you watch movies and they all come from Hollywood and uh, they always have happy endings. When you're in <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but when you're in California, you just feel like you're in one of those movies and there are only happy endings. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It gives you like a little happiness about life. And mm -hmm. I really missed that when I was in, in China and then in France. Mm -hmm. And so I I actually started my school in France and my school had accepted. They were like, okay, if you take those specific classes in America, you can come back and finish your diploma. So mm -hmm. I was only supposed to come for a year and then come <laughs> go back to France and finish my diploma. And it was just, uh, I couldn't. After spending a year here, I just... You know, I loved everything about it. I loved the weather. Mm -hmm. I loved like the school system going to class um, in France. I had, I, I, not that I struggled, but I didn't enjoy classes. And so I didn't do well. And I had grades good enough to like pass and graduate, but it's, I wasn't like excelling, you know? And then in America, because the system was much more 
like was a better fit for me personally mm-hmm. I was doing amazing in my classes mm-hmm. like I was getting A's and always scoring in the hundreds and that just gave me like uh, you know this motivation to keep going because right. you're doing great right. you're seeing results huh? yeah. yeah so you're like oh my god like <laughs> you know I'm getting all this recognition and then within my first year here I also joined the debate team uh, at my school Pasadena College and that that was just I had never joined a team like that in France. You know, we don't we don't have debate. Um, and there was just something about it. It was so attractive to me because I love arguing. I love... <laughs> you don't I, seem like... <laughs> you don't seem argumentative type. You seem just so easy going. <laughs> well, you know, like, I like the law. I like mm-hmm. finding things, you know, like how things work. Yeah, and so debate was just a great fit for me. And I joined this team and then... It just like was such a community for me, and mm. I don't know. I just had found something, and so like I just, I just want to stay. And so, I was at a community college, and I knew that if I stayed two years, I could have my associate degree. So then the original plan was okay, I will at least finish my associate degree in America, and then maybe I'll go back to France to finish my bachelor's. And then you know, <laughs> one year passed, and then. I hadn't, uh, honestly, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to transferring because that wasn't my original plan. My plan was to go back to France. Mm. And so I missed all the deadline to transfer to like UC and like California public schools. Mm -hmm. They're very early. They're in like November of the year before. And so when I started thinking about transferring in January, February, March, I was like, oh, I missed like the deadline for all those schools that could be great fit for me. Mm. And so I ended up staying one more year at Pasadena City College and then applying for transfer. And I was just, I had a hard decision to make because I actually, I was in the honor program, honors mm-hmm. program at PCC. Mm-hmm. And so I had like a good uh, What is PCC? PCC is Pasadena City College. Okay, Pasadena, California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I had a guaranteed acceptance to UCLA. Mm-hmm. And UCLA, you know, amazing school, right? right. Amazing I reputation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um super expensive and I just had to make that choice where it's like do I want to go to a very expensive school that is going to get me into a lot of debt or I could go to Cal State LA which is Mm -hmm. (laughs) much cheaper and I just figured that the education was the benefits of the education was what I was going to make out of it and I figured like if I can just excel at my school it won't matter if Mm -hmm. the name of the school whether you're at UC whether you're at the Ivy League Mm -hmm. or regular state school yeah, I just figured this is me, right? I will be able to sell myself. What's important is that I make the best choices for, for myself. And so I went to Castelli and also took my time because I loved America. And then I was an international student and I had no idea what I was going to do after that. Like, yeah. was yeah, I going to yeah. be able to I, stay I'm sorry, here? I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but we, we, we have to talk about this. Okay, now. You have yeah. your F1 student. That means you're an international student. That is a foreigner who's come here for school right? Yes. So yes. now you miss all these deadlines. What does your visa, <laughs> visa look like at this point? Uh, so I asked for, I think I asked for an extension of my 20 because, so when you join the school, you you have a certain program length that is mm-hmm. approved under your I-20. So for example, an associate degree, I think is two years, sometimes it's three years. 
And so I just had to ask for an extension on my visa to say like, hey, I have all these classes to finish. Mm-hmm. I have to give them the academic uh, plan that I was to follow. And they just extended my I-20, which is what gives you the, mm-hmm. the right to stay here. And um, I had, but because, you know, there's two different things. There's the F1 visa, which is to enter the country. And mm-hmm. then there's the I-20, which is to stay in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so after a while, when I was at Castelli and because of COVID and everything, my F1 visa expired. So then I couldn't leave. So I was stuck here, but I was still in status. So that was, that was a relief. <laughs> Because that's really stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Okay. So, so yeah, you know, some of our listeners will may not know kind of the details of how all of mm-hmm. this plays out. But um, so, you know, when you, when you come in to study, you have, you know, the F1 visa is just a student yeah. visa. It just allows you to come in. And then, yes. you know, your school has to approve your, you staying here and saying you are in our school, actually doing what you're supposed to do. That document is called the I-20. Yes. And so was it an easy process just saying, oh, you know, I have to extend my stay here because I've been finished. Usually they don't give people a problem with that because emergencies happen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is not like a expiration, a serious expiration. Is it, is it is extending your time here a pretty easy for the most part? I think, yeah, I think it was, it's easy as long as, you have a genuine re- reason right. to extend it right. and you have a good plan. So for mm-hmm. example, like I was missing, I think 15 units. And so I was like, okay, look, those, these are my 15 units. I've already been working toward this degree. I already completed like, I don't know, like 55 units or something. And so it makes sense. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. of course, you know, um, if you have made problems, like, you know, you have asked to, have less units uh you have had the medical leave for a long time like right. all these things they'll they'll take into consideration that can affect you but personally i had no issue okay good yeah. good good okay all right so now you it's too late to apply for an extension but you're mm-hmm. still you're still in the country how mm-hmm. what happens next so um so what happened is that so as long as you have your i20 you're fine right? You're here legally. Mm-hmm. And then if your F1 visa expires, um, you can renew it by exiting the country and then going to the, to your local, to the embassy. Embassy. And then, yeah. So you go to your embassy, you ask for a renewal and then same thing, you know, you have to show, I think your progress and the things you've been right. doing and they right. just double check. Right. Um, it shouldn't be a hard process, but I had a lot of lot i had several people around me having have trouble with immigration and Mm -hmm. i got really anxious personally i was like you know uh one of my friends she was my roommate and she was french and she worked illegally that's Mm -hmm. that is wrong i know it is Mm -hmm. wrong um but what happened is that when she tried to get into the country again they stopped her at the border. She was going on Christmas vacation. You right. know, she comes back. back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unknowingly, she comes back here. They stop her at the border, and they didn't stop her because they knew that she had worked illegally. They stopped her because she had posted something on Craigslist, um, advertising mm. for like French classes. Oh but my she never, goodness! <laughs> yes, but she never gave French classes. Right. It's just, it's just the advertisement. And so, mm-hmm. I think that's the part that really scared me because it was like, they stopped her, and then they just like kept her there you know took off took her belt her laces as if she was like being detained right. didn't give her food and so she had this really difficult experience with 
the border like right. at the border and I think because we were so close I got really scared mm-hmm. because I was like oh my god like they just treated you like you weren't human basically um and so I was afraid to leave <laughs> I was like I just want to finish my school I don't want to because like all the classes she has she had taken everything was just lost you know she couldn't complete her degree um or do anything and because so they wouldn't I, let her back in yes so, so what they, happened they is refused that, her entry to the country because of this yes so they yeah. stopped her and yeah. then because they stopped her and they kept her and i think they went through her phone or something mm-hmm. like that then they discovered that she had indeed worked illegally mm-hmm. doing something else um and so they had her sign papers for deportation and then she had a five-year bar she couldn't enter the country for five years after that so everything she had here I had to like ship all of her things back mm-hmm. to her because mm-hmm. she couldn't even come home to like gather her things. Um, mm. You know, she just, all her classes was like, okay, well, you can't be on, in person on campus anymore. So mm-hmm. you can't finish your degree. And mm-hmm. just seeing her life kind of like stop right there. Right. You know, I, I was scared. I was like, I mean, I had always worked. I've always had a work permit. Like I never did anything wrong, but it's, mm-hmm. You know, it's like a irrational fear. Mm-hmm. And because I was only a year and a half out before, like, before graduation, I didn't want to, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was like, I just want to finish. I'll finish yeah. school first and then I'll yeah. deal with immigration because this is too stressful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was my my experience with immigration. Sorry, did I get sidetracked? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is, this is during COVID, is it? Um, so for her, it was before, but, uh, yes, then COVID happened. And then when COVID happened, everything became super complicated because, you know, the borders were closed and, uh, I couldn't go back home. People couldn't come here. Uh, renewing visas was a mess. And then mm-hmm. I, at this point I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to even want to risk it. Like, right, right. It's, and then it's you had fine. the whole Trump immigration international crisis, you know, international mm-hmm. students were being shipped back home, this and that. Oh Yeah when yeah. even when when trip i had uh, some friends that were from yemen and so they went back for the holidays and then trump got into office yeah. and enacted the travel ban yeah and then they, they couldn't come back and then because it was so messy and the borders kind of open and closed and open and closed they were able to come back after mm-hmm. a couple of weeks and then they closed definitely um yeah. but that was also very very scary because it's like oh, all of a sudden like no, you can't come back in. Same thing during COVID. COVID. No, you can't leave. You can't come. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I mean, being mean? being going through that immigration uncertainty is very, very scary. You know, many of our students mm-hmm. don't even bother leaving. You come here, you stay the four years, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, no one, you know, most people not allow their visas to expire because you know, how do you go back to the embassy and say it expired? You know, so there's a yeah. lot of a lot of uh, uncertainty around this. This is why we're talking about this. So now you have this uh, this year and a half left of school and you've decided, okay, I'm going to focus. I'm just going to get my degree and then I'll worry about everything else later. So then, then what happened? Yeah. Okay, so then I finished, I graduated and then I did the OPT, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you graduate in America as an international student, you get to work for a year after yes. graduating. And if so you're if you're in the arts, they give you a year. If you're in sciences, you get about three years and this, you have to work mm-hmm. in a, area of your that you majored in yes so I wasn't in a STEM field so I had only one year and same thing the anxiety of like oh my god I have one year 
And mm -hmm. as an international student, you already know, you come into this country and they make it very hard for international students to stay here. Like the path is not mm -hmm. a clearly defined one if you want to stay. And so I was like, okay, the only option I have is to find someone to sponsor me for an H-1B mm -hmm. while I'm on OPT. And that was really hard. I couldn't find, I, it took me like four months just to find a company that would consider sponsoring me. So in the meantime, I was doing like other, um, other project, other work with people I knew couldn't sponsor me. So that was like, you know, kind of scary. And then I found my company and I was lucky. They were like, okay, we are willing to try the H1B. And that was a whole process in itself because mm -hmm. they had never done it before. So very grateful. It was like a small company, you know, like 20, 20 25 employees. Mm -hmm. So the owner of the company was the one agreeing to sponsor me. Mm -hmm. And so I worked directly with her uh, and I knew so much more about immigration than she did. And that was an interesting, this is mm -hmm. interesting because like when you're an international student and you learn to advocate for yourself and you learn all the ways mm -hmm. and you learn about immigration, you've been doing this for many years and then you're faced with American people that don't understand that process. Right. They just think like, oh, well, it's just a work visa. Oh, well, mm -hmm. if you can't get it, just, she, she told me one time verbatim, she said, well, you know, like the H-1B is like a very restricted visa. Like, why don't you just get a green card? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it works like that. Huh? I know, it's like a sweet summer child. Yeah. <laughs> we would all yeah. have visas, you know, we'd all have green cards, right? If we, if it was that simple. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, if you think that every international student that graduate can get a green card, like we would be living in heaven. Like, mm -hmm. no, <laughs> we have to. It's a hard way. And so... So I worked with her to to go through my visa and I'm, I'm just going to go with all the details because this is just, I just hope that if someone listens to this and they're going through this, just know that there are, there's hope. There is hope. <laughs> there is hope. Uh, okay. So, so now you graduated with uh, uh, in anthropology. Yes. So I graduated. So then no, the, plan was, the plan I'm was on to, OPT. And now in your you OPT. Know? So the plan is to find an employer in anthropology who will accept, who will uh, accept to turn the OPT into mm -hmm. H1B visa. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah, that was yeah. tough, huh? Yes. So I found something in archaeology, which, great, they were hiring. It's a field that needs plenty of people. So I was lucky in that way because, you know, for the H1B, you need to be, like, you know, you need to have a bachelor's and mm -hmm. it needs to be, like, uh, a field that's needed. Yes. You know, like, you need to justify that you can't find workers. And mm -hmm. so I was lucky that, my field was that way um yeah so so I worked with her from like January oh well first there was the lottery process so H1B is based on lottery right mm -hmm. so in February March everybody signs up for the lottery you put your mm -hmm. company and your name and then you wait and mm -hmm. only like 30% of people get picked and so I was really really stressed because I didn't know what other option I would have I was like if I'm not picked in the lottery my OPT is going to expire June 1st mm -hmm. and and then what mm -hmm. and then I could get a master's but like you know I need to work I need to make money uh it's it was difficult because over the six years of my bachelor's degree 
I had an economic hardship, right. uh, pay, uh, work permit. But then because of immigration and the way the rules, now they have changed it. But when I was there, your EAD was only um, for 12 months and then you okay. have to renew it. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, they take time. I had my work permit lapse so many times mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I need financially like i need to find work i need to be able to work a master's is expensive so i was i really felt stuck i was like if i don't get picked in that lottery mm-hmm. i have no idea what i'm gonna do and so you know just crossed my finger and i got really lucky i felt so fortunate because i was picked Excellent. um yeah in the lottery i was oh, what a relief and so what I thought I was like okay now I have the lottery everything is fine we're gonna do the visa everything is gonna be great no 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 no. there's still many things to happen after but it is a relief to get picked in the lottery right so after that I worked with uh, the the owner CEO of the company uh, through the visa and it was interesting because she made a lot of mistakes in the application and I was seeing those mistakes because Mm -hmm. I knew what I was talking about, you know, I, was mm-hmm. like, I know exactly how this is working. And so that was an interesting part of my journey just to navigate, like guiding her without her feeling like I was overstepping. Right. Right. You like know? you're trying to control and trying to uh-huh. manipulate yes. the situation because you knew what you wanted. Yes. 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 I was like, mm, this is, uh, I saw some things that were put on the paperwork and I was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. <laughs> So I had to like send it back and then she, she corrected it. And there was still one mistake at the end. Um, I sent the package out. I was like, you know what? Let me do you a favor and send, send the package out. And so I was sure, you know, I put it together myself. Mm-hmm. I made sure everything was right, right address. Uh, we turned it in with overnight shipping the day before uh, it was due. So that's mm-hmm. how long I had to wait for, for her to go through that process. Mm-hmm. Um and then because my OPT was expiring um, on June 1st, well, on May 31st, and we didn't, so you have to file before the end of your OPT if you want to be able to do something called the cap gap extension so you can keep working until the beginning of the fiscal year on October 1st. Mm-hmm. And we missed that deadline because of the labor certification that was just wrong mm. uh, so we had to redo that and so the deadline was missed so then I couldn't work for four months uh, and so this is during those four months where I was like okay I'm gonna go back to this company on October 1st and then go I'm gonna be on my H1B and then I only have six years and then I have to find a way to get a green card and it, it just felt so yeah, I mean it's very complicated, mm-hmm. and I, you know, my 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 listeners, mm-hmm. unfortunately, they you know they 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 won't understand the the details. They they may not know. Some might, some might not. But mm-hmm. um, I think what you're saying is that, you know, so of course, you know, now you're trying to work with your employer to try to get the H1B going, and then the the OPT is expiring, and then now mm-hmm. you have these deadlines and these gaps in working. It sounds like it was very very stressful, Anayel. So mm-hmm. um, how did how how did you do it? How did you bridge that gap um, during that time? So so that's the thing where I was I I I got kind of desperate. Like even though I the H one B was submitted and I knew that I was going to be able to work uh, four months later, 
I was just, I think the weight of immigration, you know, because you wait for so many years and you just like, you don't know what's going to happen and you try something and mm-hmm. maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. I've been very fortunate that everything I've tried with immigration, everything I've submitted has always mm-hmm. worked, but mm-hmm. I, it's not very few people get that chance. Right. So I know how fortunate I am. And still with everything going well for me, I was the anxiety. Yeah. It was super stressful. Like sometimes I felt like I couldn't breathe. I was like, what am I supposed to do? I can't mm-hmm. work for four months, you know? And so, but out of that desperation, I was like, there has to be a way. There has to be a way for me to get a green card. I will try. I'll try anything. And so I, I just went like, you know, I just read through the categories. I was like, okay, what are the different options? What, what are the different ways? Mm. And there's this one thing called alien of ex- exceptional ability. Alien called- of exceptional ability? Yes. So it's uh, the category for the green card is the EB2. And I, I looked at the, the requirements and I was like, well, you know, on paper, I fit those requirements. And even though, uh, so because when you look at the green card, uh, employment-based green card, you have different levels, right? And EB1 is for extraordinary ability. And it's mm-hmm. usually, you know, like, you know, basketball players or actors mm-hmm. or very famous, very like... Um, Pulitzer Prize winner and mm-hmm. you know Nobel Prize all these people right and you're like there is no way I fit into this category right and so I think that I kind of had that fear with the exceptional ability where I was like am I adequate like is this mm-hmm. could I actually fulfill this and I was like you know what on paper I can fit those requirements and I'm gonna try because what what do I have to lose you know mm-hmm. yes I can I can lose the two thousand dollars fee but like you know at this point <laughs> If I get a green card, it's a gamble I'm willing to take. And so right. for, and because I had my business to help uh, students and retirees um, just like move abroad and, and just navigate that whole process, I was able to make that argument that, that um, if they granted me a green card, I could work on this business. And so what I asked for is a NIW, National Interest Waiver. Mm-hmm. And so because usually when you apply for a green card, you need an employer. You need a right. U.S. sponsor, right? Right. And I was like, I don't have a U.S. sponsor. <laughs> and so the only way not to have a U.S. sponsor is to ask for uh, a national interest waiver, which basically means that the work that you want to do, the project that you have is is so significant that like it will impact the U.S. in a significant way. It mm. will help. Um, and you have different fields that you can fulfill, you know, like it can help in business, it can help in culture, but it's just, it'll be like a benefit to the United States. And so you have to make that, what I liked about that application, going back to debate, is like, you had to argue for yourself, you had to be Mm. like, this is why I fit those criteria, you know, and I feel like when you go through the immigration process, you really have to learn how to advocate for yourself and show what it is that makes you special what it is that makes you exceptional because you're saying like right you're even when you're asking for a regular visa like a work visa you're saying like i am worth it i deserve for you to go through this process to hire me or to grant me stay in your country Mm -hmm. and so you just you just have to learn you know like what it is that i have that people will like that people will value and so I just 
explain how all my experience, everything I've ever done, like <laughs> everything just met at, at this intersection that was mm. my business. Because, you know, like yeah. when I went to China, when I went to America, when I lived in France and I studied anthropology, like I just, I just tailored myself perfectly to just mm. help people going through that process. Mm-hmm. And so that was the argument I made for my green card. I was like, look, I am perfect for this project and then I showed how you know I had already made like the business name and the logo and I had the business plan and I I I had a one week training where we met you know at the IECA and I was like look I'm I'm doing all these mm-hmm. things to work toward that goal and I think they like to see that they like to see that them granting you something is it's just the one thing you need on your journey you know, but you're already on, you're already on your way. They're just opening the door, you know, and just showing them like, look, all you have to do is grant me this, and I'll do all these wonderful things. And um, yeah, so I submitted my application, and then I thought that I would have to wait, like the the wait time. So it's like a two part application. So you have the the first part is the immigrant worker mm-hmm. application, mm-hmm. and then if that's approved, then you have the green card application. And so I submitted both at once because uh, I could. It's called concurrent filing. Mm. And so I waited. And I, the I-140 was supposed to take a year. I think the wait time online was a year. And three months, not even three months later, I had an answer and it was approved. Wow. I remember, yeah, at the end yeah. of November. And I was like, huh, what? Like, so they, they approved your green card as a uh-huh. small business owner, as a... Mm-hmm. It because you, you you submitted that you're going to do this yes. business yeah so as an entrepreneur as i an guess entrepreneur. yeah that's interesting okay. and oh my goodness yeah this this yeah. is fascinating you know you come here as a f1 student and you end up mm-hmm. you know starting your own business you know when you when you think yeah. about it the trajectory sounds like yeah of course she stayed as she stayed a business and she, as an f1 student but that's a huge leap you know the the, the u.s government i mean the the student system is not does not want us doing that the goal is to mm-hmm. come as a student and return to your country you know through this cycle mm-hmm. of you know the university pipeline so um Anayel, i'm sure they gave you a hard time i'm sure the school your, your, your university gave you a really hard time trying to accomplish these things oh yeah you know my um when i was going through just the application for my economic hardship uh, work authorization Mm-hmm. Um, the person working at the international student office so they have to sign off on the application they have mm-hmm. to support it you know that, that all they have to do is give you a letter that says we support this student uh, submitting this application uh, it won't interfere with her studies so I don't know they look application at your application for you what? Know? for an economic hardship oh economic period. hardship okay so you came here as students saying you have all this money to pay for the school and then suddenly uh-huh. you don't and now you want the school to sign off saying that you know that this is an emergency situation mm-hmm. the student needs to work here in america to support herself yeah yeah basically the school yeah. didn't want to do that did they oh no that she she actually told me this won't be approved you're wasting your time even though this was the third year I was asking for it. So I asked for it. You have to wait one year in America to ask for that permit. Because the first year, you know, when you apply for the school, you show that you have enough money to yes. pay for at least one year, right? Yes. And so 
because of that, they won't they won't accept an application because they're like, well, there was money. You showed us the money, right? So right. where is it? So then after one year, um, I submitted this application when I was at PCC. I was just like, okay, look, this is everything that has happened in my family, uh, in the world. Like the the euro dollar currency rate had mm. dropped. Because of COVID? And, huh? uh, no, that was before COVID. It was in 2016. But when I first came to America uh, in 2012, the US euro conversion rate was like 1.35. So mm. if you had euros, you had a lot more US dollars than in 2016. And so I was like, that was one of my arguments where I said, well, you know, I when I plan to join the school, this is how much euros I needed. Mm. And no, I need that much more euros. And mm. that's just something my sponsor doesn't have. And um and so anyway, I had applied for it at PCC and then I had it the first, like I had my first work authorization, then I renewed it. And then when you transfer schools, you have to reapply no matter where you're at in the mm-hmm. authorization mm-hmm. period, you know? And so when I went to reapply at my new school, that's when she told me you're wasting your time. And I was like, first of all, this is my right as a student. I have very little rights as an international student, but this is one of them, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, and she was just like, okay, sure, I'll I'll sign off on it for you, but, and then it was approved, so. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, so then you were able to work as an international student full-time to be able to support yourself. Uh, so you're only able to work 20 hours a week, but the difference is that you can work anywhere. 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 Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the, when the regular come, one is yeah. for universities, you can work on campus only. Yes. So when you come, you always, always have the authorization to work on campus for 20 hours a week. Uh, but if you have that, you can work anywhere. And then during the holidays, you can work 40 hours. So full time. I see. I see. Wow. That is yeah. very, very unique. So the school mm-hmm. gave you a hard time, right? Yes. But generally mm-hmm. immigration kind of looked at your paperwork and said, you know what? No, this is this is mm-hmm. fine. And so you were able to go from the F1 visa to the H1B visa to the green card. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. You know what's fun fact? Mm -hmm. The woman, that woman that told me I wouldn't get the the work permit. Mm -hmm. uh, Later on for my green card application, I asked a letter from her just Mm -hmm. to prove my tenacity as a student, just Mm -hmm. fighting against the immigration system. Mm -hmm. And she gave me that letter. And then my green card was approved. So I oh, thought that was goodness. nice. That's good. You know, you must have been dealt with it very professionally because yeah. <laughs> that story sounds like she would have been mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, there's hope. There's hope. I mean, this is not the path for everyone, you know. But, you know, my mm-hmm. concern and the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because we have students who give up too easily. We have students who... Um, come here serious emergencies happen and they don't try at all because they're too scared because the school you know scares them Mm -hmm. Um, but you're saying there's hope you're saying there's hope um yes what what would you say to a student who comes here in good faith and just finds themselves in an economic crisis what advice would you give them Uh, i would just tell them to first consider applying for the economic hardship like if it is an economic problem you have all the chances to be approved for that and then you can work and support yourself. So there are definitely ways. And then you can also look for work in the school. So it's like, 
there are many avenues to be explored mm-hmm. and um, definitely reach out for help you know insist with your school just mm-hmm. insist Be like this is the problem i have are you telling me there is no solution mm-hmm. and uh, when you're insistent <laughs> sometimes they they give in so they're like okay well maybe we could try this you know uh, and then reach for help like people like me or like you maya you know just mm-hmm. to let them know that there is there is hope <laughs> yes really yes. yeah so so anayel are you available to advise some of our listeners listeners mm-hmm. um, if we get these questions okay so um i will yeah. put an email whoever is interested in those questions go ahead and email me at you just you know um, info at ugscholar.org and um, i will uh, put your questions to anayel um secondly um let's see yeah it, you know this is this is just this is just phenomenal because it's such a serious problem and you know a lot of people don't really know that we don't have rights as international mm-hmm. students and mm-hmm. you know many many students are trying to find a way around these things but there is it really feels impossible and the mm-hmm. challenge here is that many of us are just do not have the grit and we don't know our rights we don't we don't have the grit to be able to fight the system and put our case um mm-hmm. forward and we don't have a way to educate ourselves and say look this is a democratic country this is a mm-hmm. free country you can go to the authorities and plead your case. That is a reasonable thing for a student to do, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And I would say that every single time I have actually submitted things to USCIS, which is the immigration uh, agency, mm-hmm. they have always been responsive. Like, I, I know I'm fortunate, but I really think that when you make a case for yourself and you have solid arguments and you're just just presenting yourself as a human being, you know, that's working hard to go where they want to go and and just participate in society and and make something of yourself and help others. I feel like they're responsive to this. So I would definitely tell anyone that is struggling with the immigration process to not give up until you have really shown who you are and and tried really hard and you know, if they if they close all the doors in your face, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. sometimes they will open a door for you that you thought, mm-hmm. oh my God, I didn't think that would work, you know? Right, right, right. But you have to try. <laughs> yep, you have, you have to, to try. try. <laughs> last last question, Anayel, before we let you yeah. go. What is next for you, Anayel, after this? What is next? Um, well, you know, I to be honest, I was so surprised to get my green card. It took me, a, I, I just got it to, two months not even two months ago Mm -hmm. um and uh, it just took me so long to shed the mentality of struggling with immigration you know it's Mm -hmm. it's so restricting when you know like okay i can't work i can't work or i can only work in this one place or i can work but only 20 hours like so many restrictions you know that you're putting on yourself and it's so stressful because you know that if you if you do something wrong it's going to be held against you mm-hmm. so you're so careful and i it took me weeks just to understand that oh my god i can do anything i want i can yeah i can work free. anywhere <laughs> yes I made, I made it i can leave anywhere i yeah. want like it's just this amazing feeling and so i think i'm just gonna work on on just my business and uh helping others really gives me a lot of um, you know, it's very fulfilling. Uh, so I think I'm just gonna see what I can do with that. You know, excellent, excellent. Yeah. 
Wow. Yes. So anybody, you know, if you have questions, if you're listening and you have questions about immigration, we have Anayel and we can put forth her questions to her. Thank you so much, Anayel. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and giving us your advice. And um, listeners, that's it. That was another episode of Big Conversations with Ordinary People. Thank you. Thank you, Maya.